1: When you go online and Google yourself, and we know that you do Google yourself, I do it, I did it once, I've done it, Um, do you always like what it is that you see? Because sometimes some of it can be unflattering. And is that how you want to be remembered by those links to unflattering things five years from now or 50 years from now? Or do you wish that you had the power to get some of those links removed? But if you had that power, what if somebody who had done something bad had that power? What if a doctor who had committed malpractice also wanted to get his links taken down? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Well, in Europe, they do have something of a system that allows individuals to do this. They call it the right to be forgotten. And the question is, should we have that right here? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City with four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, who will argue for and against this motion. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our live audience. Here in New York Votes to choose the winner And only one side wins The motion again The U.S. should adopt The right to be forgotten online Let's meet the team Arguing for the motion Please ladies and gentlemen Welcome Paul Nemitz Paul you are the director Of this this organization This agency The Fundamental Rights And Union Citizenship And the Director General For Justice and Consumers Of the European Commission (laughs) Otherwise known as The (laughs) FRUCDGJCEC Um, And and in that, you, you are responsible for the enforcement of privacy rights in Europe, and you have been quoted as saying to
0: Google, you have said, you have no right to see me naked. By which you meant what? I meant that there are limits to snooping, collecting, and making my private life public on Google. And that's what you're going to be arguing tonight. And tell us, who is your partner in that argument? The eminent professor Eric Posner from Chicago University Law School. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Posner.
1: Yes, Eric, you are a law professor. You've written the book, uh, most recently, The Twilight of International Human Rights Law. Back in the U.S., when when Europe passed its right to be forgotten law uh, a little while back, most American academics were quite skeptical and even outraged. And you said, actually, that you thought it sounded perfectly sensible. So my question is, have more of the critics come over to your side now?
2: No, uh, they haven't, um, but I'm, I'm hoping they'll change their minds soon enough. Especially after tonight. Especially after tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing for the motion that the U.S. should adopt the right to be
1: forgotten online. And we have two debaters arguing vociferously against this motion. Please, let's welcome Andrew McLaughlin. Andrew, you are now the CEO of Dig and Instapaper. You were an advisor to President Obama on internet technology policy. You are a former director of global public policy at Google. You have called the EU decision a travesty. Uh, you're no longer at Google, but if you
3: were, would you be using that kind of language? Well, I probably used uh, less uh, less restrained language if I were still at Google. Uh, the um, the effect of the decision on that company is kind of singular. There's really no place in the world that's been so affected by it. But uh, but I do think it's a travesty.
1: Okay, and we're making clear you're not here tonight as the Google guy. And tell us who your partner is, Andrew. Uh, the equally eminent Professor Jonathan Zittrain. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Zittrain. The eminent Jonathan Zittrain, you're a professor of law and computer science at Harvard. Uh, you're co-founder of the Berkman Center for Internet and Society. Um, you, you looked at the EU's, the, Europe's right to be forgotten, and you said that there is a certain elegance to the idea because it, you're saying something should not follow you around for life. But does that mean, essentially, you agree with the other side?
4: <laughs> well, we could end early and just hit the bar. But um, <laughs> uh, I've described the right to be forgotten as a poor solution to a very real problem. And in that sense, uh, I have many sympathies, not just with the other side, but probably with everyone in the room who wants that ability to get something taken down sometimes. All right.
1: We're very interested to see where you go with that argument. Again, the motion is the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online in this debate, and it is a debate. Round one, opening statements from each of our debaters in turn. And here to argue in support of this motion, Paul Niemitz, He is Director for Fundamental Rights and Union Citizenship in the Directorate General for Justice and Consumers of the European Commission. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Niemitz.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. So let me say, first of all, I'm not here on an official mission from the European Commission to turn America to this notion of law. I will just report to you how this works in Europe and where it comes from. So first of all, the right to be forgotten, the words, the natural words, they don't tell you the whole story. Because actually, it is about a deletion right. It is about you exercising control over personal data, you asking big corporations or the state to delete this data which they have about you. Why this is important? It is important because it allows you to control your own life. In the language of the German Constitutional Court, already from the 70s, this was called informational self-determination. And the judges said, in a democracy, you as an individual must have the right to control what others know about you. You must be able to ask, what do you have? And you must be able to ask for deletion. So we need privacy in a free society as we need free speech. First of all, you have to understand this just doesn't fall from the sky like this, but it is application of existing law, which we have in Europe since 1995. And it is basically a right to ask a big corporation to delete information about you. Google argued in the case, this doesn't apply to us. We are not what we call in Europe a data controller. Our judges saw that, differently. They said, sure, you control data about individuals, and our law requires that in the same way that our people can ask data brokers, a bank, um, you know, they can ask in school after a certain time for things to be deleted, they should be able to ask Google for deletion. Now, the person in question who brought this case from Spain, he had not paid some social contributions, and therefore his house had been confiscated, and it was a legal obligation in Spain to have a publication in a newspaper of this fact. So the court said, you cannot ask the newspaper to take down the information because they have a legal obligation to publish, but Google, you can ask. But it doesn't mean the information disappears. It will stay in the newspaper. It stays on the website of the newspaper, of the BBC, of the television station. All this stays around, But Google is subject to the same law of self-control, of informational self-determination of individuals, which allows them to ask, first, what do you have about me? And second, please delete. Does it work? Yes, it works well. Um, I just last week met the chief privacy officer of Google. He told me that now they're dealing with these requests in real time. In the beginning, there were around 200,000 requests, and they had to employ a number of new staff to deal with this, but now it works well. And um, this is something which is important for the future because more and more data about you will be collected in the digital age, in the Internet age, in the age of ever stronger sensors, wearables, Internet of Things, and so on. If you say, I, as an individual, want to have control over my data and what's happening to them, then you should vote in favor of the motion, the U.S. should adopt a right to be forgotten. Thank you, Paul Nemitz.
1: And the motion is this, the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online, and here to make his argument against this motion, Andrew McLaughlin. He is the CEO of DIG and Instapaper. He's a former U.S. Deputy Chief Technology Officer for the Obama Administration. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew McLaughlin.
3: Thank you very much. Um, The emotional underpinnings of this motion, the emotional rationale that uh, lies behind the right to be forgotten, is powerful, Uh, and it is understandable. There are um, many people on this planet that have made mistakes in their past, uh, and the Internet, for them, acts as some kind of a permanent record that follows them everywhere. And the uh, fear that it generates is that you will forever be defined uh, by that one mistake uh, that you made uh, that ended up on the Internet or in the press. Uh, The problem, though, is the following, and this is what I'm going to try to persuade you of. First, the right to be forgotten is, no matter how you try to construct it, censorship. Censorship has to clear a very high bar in order to be justified in a free and democratic society. The right to be forgotten does not clear that bar. Uh, There are vastly better ways to accommodate the uh, emotional rationale uh, for the right to be forgotten, Um, And that doesn't even really get into the implementation dilemmas, all of the different practical reasons why this thing will never, in any meaningful sense, become a right. Uh, First of all, it's way too prone to abuse. It is vague. Uh, It is subjective. The language in the European Court's decision is uh, that information should be deleted from searches about the person if it is inadequate, irrelevant, or no longer irrelevant, or excessive. I challenge you to find a more vague and subjective legal standard anywhere in the law of a free society. Um, It's very clear, by the way, as a practical matter, that this law favors the interests of well-connected elites in Europe, those who are wealthy, those who are in office, those who would like to suppress embarrassing facts about their lives. And contrary to Paul's claim that it's working kind of well, you can Google, well, you can Google while you can, uh, any number of articles. The ones that I found were in the English language press in the U.K., outlining all of the articles that have been suppressed because Google gives notification to the publisher when an article has been suppressed. You will find crimes. You will find criticism. You'll find the case of the uh, uh, piano player who didn't like a 2010 Washington Post uh, uh, unflattering review uh, of uh, a concert that he gave. Uh, A man who tried to kill members of his own family was able to have those articles suppressed in searches about his name. And these are from like 2010, 2011. These are not ancient history. So as I said before, there are better ways to accommodate this, right? For example, in the American tradition, uh, we believe in not censorship but more speech. So for example, if there are links on Google, a better solution might be to say that the subject of the search could add a link, add a comment, or add a symbol that would click you through to whatever you want to say about that link. You might have a right to respond as opposed to a right to censor. In other words, rather than scrubbing information embarrassing to um, uh, uh, to a person, um, we might even think more broadly about, as a society, how do we treat past mistakes and past errors? Can we learn to um, broaden and embrace and allow for the self reinvention that, in so many ways, defines uh, what it is to be American? And so, finally, I'll just end on this note, which is that um, you know, uh, as George Orwell said, "He who controls the past controls the future." Giving. Uh, any number of individuals, a vague standard by which to control their own pasts and thereby to try to control their own futures has incredibly negative uh, effects. This right is not necessary. I urge you to vote against the motion.
1: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through this opening round of the Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, and we have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. You've heard Two of the opening arguments and now on to the third Let's welcome to the lectern Eric Posner He is the Kirkland and Ellis Distinguished Service Professor of Law At the University of Chicago Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Posner
2: I'd like to to ask you to cast your minds back um, 25 years, 30 years Uh, For those of you who are old enough For some of the younger people here I'll just have to tell you what it was like then When we enjoyed something called privacy And uh, privacy is a complicated concept, so I want to convey it to you with a few examples. So imagine a 17-year-old boy. He's arrested for selling drugs. A news item appears in the local paper. The police then realize they made a mistake and they let him go. That's not published in the newspaper. Now, the people around him in his neighborhood may know about this. May, they may not know about it. They know a lot about this kid. He moves on with his life. It's not a big deal. Second example. Uh, a single mom uh, is depressed. She sees a psychotherapist. Um, she misses some credit card bills, files for bankruptcy. But bankruptcy gives her a fresh start. She gets back on her feet, and she's able to continue with her life. Uh, third example. Third example. A married couple has a terrible divorce. They say terrible things to each other, flinging wild uh, accusations, some of which may contain uh, an element of truth, some of which is exaggerated. Eventually, the divorce is settled, and they, they move on with their lives. So in all these cases, these events happened. They were public to some extent, but at the same time, they were private. Not everybody in the world or even outside this area hears about the, these, these events. <laughs> And the law protects them. There are privacy laws. There were privacy laws. They still exist. Um, There are even laws called expungement statutes that would have allowed the teenager, for example, to erase his arrest record after a period of time had passed. Now, what happened? The law has remained the same, but a very important element of privacy back in the 80s and 90s and before then was simply the physical configuration of the environment. It was just very difficult to collect information about people and disseminate it. Okay? That's completely changed. Technology has changed. So the law at the time, the privacy laws at the time, could be relatively weak, and yet people's privacy was adequately protected. But now, with this technological change, this old balance between my interest in controlling information about myself and your interest in knowing about me has been upset, and all that the right to be forgotten would do is restore this balance. Okay, so if we go through these three people again, this kid, 10, 15 years later, let's suppose all of this happened, you know, in the last few years, uh, he applies for a job. The employer puts his name in, the, in Google. The first thing that comes out is this arrest. Now, the employer might understand that this is not uh, important, but he, he might. This is the only thing that comes up about this guy. Why not pass, pass him by and, and hire somebody else? And in the case of the divorced couple, in the old days, uh, divorce would be public. It's public information, but it was, you know, put in a file that was stored in the basement of a courthouse. Nowadays, you know, their, their children could type uh, their parents' names into Google, and out comes these allegations. So they've lost control over this information about themselves. And it's not just that they've lost this control. They've lost the important context. You know, the neighbors, the people in the neighborhood, they they know the context of these events. The strangers who do the Google search do not. So the right to be forgotten would simply restore us, at least partly, to this older period of time. So for that reason, you should vote in favor of the motion for the right to be forgotten online in the United States. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric Posner.
1: And that is the motion, the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. And here to make his argument against this motion, please welcome Jonathan Zittrain. He is the George Bemis
4: Professor of Law at Harvard Law School and the Kennedy School of Government. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Zittrain. Thank you very much, John, and thank you all. I guess I should start with some points of agreement. So if the question is, are there problems with privacy... Yes, there are. And if that were the motion, I would hope you would join us in voting for it. If the question were, have problems of privacy gotten more difficult over time, we'd vote for that motion, too. I think I'm comfortable saying Andrew would vote for it. If the motion were, should everything be recorded at all times, and if so, should we do something about that, I would also be in favor. But none of these is the motion. The question is about a right to be forgotten. And I want to explain my opening statement that that's a very bad solution to a very real problem. So let's take an example. Imagine that there was something that I could say right now that would be not felicitous for someone in the world. That's not that hard to imagine. And this debate gets recorded. The podcast goes up. And at some point, that aggrieved person files a dispute with Google over the existence of this recording. Google then thinks about it. How does Google think? Companies don't think, except with AI. Eventually, this will be AI, but not yet. So they have—I assume—some interns, <laughs> somebody making ten dollars an hour that <laughs> is just getting a stream of those one hundred thousand requests. It's like time to make the donuts. You're like. Yes, no, no. And Paul's like, you know, they've really learned. They've gotten good at this. And that's because if they don't grant the request, the aggrieved person can appeal in Europe to a data protection authority. I presume there'd be something similar here. That's bad. That's more process. If Google grants the request, that's it. Intelligence Square wouldn't be informed that their page is no longer findable through the world's most powerful information resource, At the moment, when it is granted, Google notifies the Telegraph, for example, if a story on the Telegraph is taken out of the Google Index as a result of this right. The European Union is fighting that notification because it observes when the Telegraph puts it out, here's what was deleted today, it kind of defeats the purpose of deleting it from Google. (laughs) It has to be built into this right that we have no idea what we're actually talking about. Now, uh, I think I should end then by talking a little bit about the ecosystem in which this ill-considered proposal has its best shot at succeeding. And it's today's ecosystem, and when basically it's just Google. I'm like, Bing, how many are you getting? They're like, we can't tell you. It's like, you can't tell us because there's so many or because nobody is bothering to take anything out of Bing? Apologies to Microsoft. (laughs) But if we ended up with WikiSearch... With, people remember Dogpile, it would do do searches of multiple search engines at once. Does each company now have to start fronting a system to start taking stuff down? What if it is Wiki? What if it's a nonprofit? Until these questions can be answered, and maybe they can, back to you guys, I say, please vote against this motion, even as you pluck a violin along with us for the very real problems that the four side is rightfully bringing up. we got to work on this stuff. But if we just stick with a generalized right for, in the words of the decision by the European Court of Justice, no longer relevant, in the view of the complainant, information to be taken out in procedures that must, by their nature, be secret, we will be betraying all of the great things that the information revolution has brought us along with the bad. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Jonathan Zittrain. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared US debate, where our motion is the US should adopt the right to be forgotten online. On to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another in turn and take questions from me and from you in our live audience here at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Our motion is the US should adopt the right to be forgotten online. We have heard one team arguing for this motion, Paul Niemitz and Eric Posner, have argued that technological change means that the balance that once existed between privacy and free speech is now all wrong, and it needs to be restored in a world where the worst moment in a person's otherwise well-lived life can be the thing that stalks them forever through search results on Google. Um, they say put this in terms of a right to delete. Think of it in terms of informational self-determination. The team arguing against the motion, Andrew McLaughlin and uh, uh, Jonathan Zittrain, they concede that this really is a problem, this issue of privacy, but they say the solution, the right to be forgotten, is a terrible solution because it conflicts, number one, with the right to remember, which they argue is a, a, an important and valid right, and more importantly, the Say the whole thing smacks of censorship. I want to go to the team that's arguing in support of this motion. The dirty word that your opponents have raised uh, repeatedly is censorship. That the kind of uh, right that we're talking about, where an individual can go to Google and say, when my name comes up, I don't want this link to show up, or this link to show up, or this link to show up, that that amounts to censorship.
0: How do you respond to that? Paul Niemitz? I would see it exactly the other way around. History has taught Europeans, whether fascistic dictators or communist dictators, they don't want any privacy. They wanted to know any, everything about you. There was a block reporter in every block of housing. And that is the history of this right you have to think about. Dictators don't want anybody to have privacy.
1: Paul, let me, let me step in because I asked you a question that I don't feel you're answering. Which was
0: the response to their calling this censorship. It's not censorship because the state is not making uh, information disappear as they did in the communist and the Nazi dictatorships. It's an individual who wants to have control over their past lives. Okay. Let me let, me let the other side respond to that. Well, That, that,
3: that, that is censorship, right? So in this case, this, the, the law, which is an instrument of the state, is saying that the individual has the right to force deletion of true information published by others. That's censorship. When you say,
1: just to be clear, you're not talking, when we say deletion of information published by others, that is deletion of literally of information published by Google, which are the search results, but the, that the documents that are linked
3: to stay online. That is correct. I mean, I, 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 I grant that uh, the Google search result is different from the underlying information, but unless you can find it, may as well not exist, and search is how people get at things. Correct. i got to say Let's that. Go, let, so me, so let, so me, let me bring I, in Eric Posner. Yes, yeah, censorship
2: in the sense that uh, Andrew use it, ha, uses it has always existed in this country. There's a tort right to privacy. If a nosy uh, journalist pokes into your affairs, finds out true facts, tries to publish them, you have a tort action against them. You can get damages as a just cons- for
1: Just for folks who aren't lawyers, can you explain the term tort action? You can
2: just sue them and get money. And as a consequence of that, journalists do not do this. Many of you have seen on reality TV shows and other places that
4: faces are blurred out. Well, that's a kind of censorship as well. Let's take Jonathan to the drain. I, I wouldn't get too hung up on the word censorship. I think that it's, it should be starting a conversation rather than ending it. The key distinction in the examples Eric was giving was that these are adjudicated instances where the state is like, what that person has said is so terrible, they owe money – it might be a further move by the state with some trepidation to say, and you must never say that again, and what you said must be you know, stricken from the public record. That should be done very rarely and after a lot of process. What's happening here in a right to be forgotten implemented online is exactly the opposite, and in that sense it's very different from the examples you're coming up with. The fact, too, that it's only coming out of Google's index rather than the root thing being taken down – I would just see that as part of the paradox. If the thing is okay enough to stay up, it's not so bad that it needs to come down. It's like saying the book can stay in the library. We just have to set fire to the card catalog. Like, go to town, enjoy the stacks. Um, would, would one of that you address seems Borgesian I would <laughs> let, want to
1: let one of you address that metaphor. The audience connected with that, um, so I want to see what your response to it well, is.
2: I can use. Another. Uh, do, do you want to take it, Paul? Oh, Eric, I agree with Jonathan that the word censorship is not helpful here. What what the right to be forgotten does is it raises the cost for strangers to find out information about you. It doesn't make it impossible. So if you turn out to be a famous important person, become a politician, journalists, biographers can dig it out. It just makes it difficult. But that's the way things work. That's the way we secure our homes, for example. We don't make it impossible to break into our house. That would be far too expensive. We put in a lock that will deter most people. That's a, so you raise the cost without making something impossible. That's a way of, of putting a thumb on the scale for privacy.
3: Andrew McLaughlin? I think what's, you know, what's interesting about this to me is I, 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 I regularly hear um, EU officials you know, say, look, there's just nothing much to see here. Like, this is only if you search for the person's name directly uh, will that search result not appear. It's just a very small thing. And to me, that actually, like, highlights the kind of like moral bankruptcy of this whole thing because they are essentially validating the notion that an individual, a dictator, uh, a politician, a, uh, you know, rich person, can um, secure the deletion of irrelevant information, whatever that means, in this one very narrow way. And believe me, I am confident that that principle will expand. There's no way that it's just going to be left limited to search yes. engines accessible. I, to I think
0: what, and, uh, what, uh, what Andrew and, and uh, Jonathan are doing here is they're pretending that everybody who makes use of this right is someone where there is some public interest to know actually what this person has been doing and what it is about. But that's not the case. Most of these requests, seven, more than 70%, have nothing to do with public interest. So I would like to say very clearly here, whenever there is a public interest of nature, which is important in a democracy to know, an interest in someone who stepped out, him or herself, into the public The right to be forgotten doesn't apply. The example, for example, which Andrew gave from the Washington Post, namely that a concert pianist was asking for a takedown of the critique, the bad critique of his piano performance here in America, yes, the person asked for it, but under all law, it would never be right to take this down because this person has stepped into the public arena. So I think, honestly, we have a fake debate here. What we need to debate is the chilling effect on democracy and on public discussion. What chilling effect is bigger if we're able to know everything about you and even in a way which you wouldn't even think of or whether we allow individuals to have indiv- uh, control over the data? Okay. Okay. I think both are bad situations
4: and I reject having to choose between the two of them. Because if that's the choice I have to make, if it's really the choice, anytime somebody says, you can have this or you can have every single thing you do on the world be Googleable forever, I'll probably take this without even looking inside the box. But that's a false dichotomy. I think there is plenty that Paul is doing, good work that Paul's doing in the EU, to look at a Facebook and say, geez, you guys are gathering so much stuff before you have a Valdez-like spill or just open up the ports and spill the oil out because why not, if that's what you're wanting to do, Facebook? You better talk with us because that's that's personally sensitive data. Great. Regulate it at the collection and at the source. But by the time you have a general web and stuff out on it and are expecting anybody who dares to index it, and I'm, again, hoping it will be more than Google who does this, the idea that they have to be handling one request at a time under incredibly vague criteria that are by their nature unreviewable let's go to That's the criteria to.
1: let's take the criteria to your opponents this the, these criteria are no longer relevant Inadequate information And I'm not sure that I understand What it means for information to be inadequate Inadequate to whom? For what purpose? Eric Klosner.
2: These uh, complaints are generic In legal debates Every legal standard is ambiguous So these old privacy rights, for example Required the government Or the courts or juries to balance The public's interest in something A vague uh, term Relevance is a term that comes up Over and again um, so, so this this happens, and what happens is through repeated decision making, it becomes clearer and clearer what what the actual rules are. Now, the the the, the rules, as they're stated, are vague, but when you actually read the uh, the cases, it becomes pretty clear what's going on. Ordinary people, non-famous people, are the ones who win. Famous people don't win. And you can, by reading these things, get a pretty good sense of, of what the standard is and be able to make predictions about how uh, Google will apply these standards in the future. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence
1: Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. I want to remind you we're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have two teams of debaters, two against two, arguing for and against this motion, the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. Let's go back to questions right down front, sir.
4: If you can tell us your name, please. Sure. It's Alamine Sumar. Um, so my question for the no side is this. Are there ways, mechanisms to temper... Uh, maybe things that we see as problematic about the right to be forgotten in ways that make the case more compelling. So, for example, you know, we imagine if this happened in the U.S., the Congress would pass a statute and say something like, if something's irrelevant or inadequate, it has to be removed. But then the agency to which that power would be delegated would promulgate some regulations and the regulations would be a bit more specific. Good question. Um, And then if, you know, Google wanted to You know, uh, deny a request or, you know, and didn't want to deal with the process, you could have some special advocate appointed to take that case to the court. So,
1: So basically, is there an apparatus that would make a right to be forgotten workable in the U.S. to the
4: point where you would find it acceptable? Could we come up with something? Quite possibly. I'd welcome it. Again, I understand that we have a real problem here in privacy. I do worry about a litigation style model. As a solution for the kinds of reputational problems we're talking about, I think it's a little bit of the wrong kind of peg in the wrong kind of hole.
3: I, I'm not with Jonathan on this one. I can't think of any construct, any administrative construction, any administrative structure uh, that would make this acceptable because the fundamental right that we are talking about here is a duty of other people to delete and forget true past information about you. I don't think there's any way that's constitutional, for one thing, but I also think it's just fundamentally a terrible, terrible idea. Eric, did you want to respond?
2: It's, it's not unconstitutional. So the, the right of privacy already does this. It already has the effect of deterring newspapers and other people from publishing true facts about you. Expungement laws are statutes in most states that allow people's criminal records to be erased, all of these statutes and and uh, um, legal norms have standards and criteria. Then I suspect Jonathan and I, you know, are very close together. Meaning that he's on our side. For the for, so you, 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 you 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 make it. You know, for example, I would completely rule out public figures from using the right to be forgotten. Only private individuals, and only private individuals who you know didn't commit a crime. That sort of thing. So um, I do think uh, we can, that there are administrative criteria. Now, often it's very difficult to set them out in advance precisely because we're in a new world with new technology. And so you have to build it up through decisions. That's, that's how our, our legal system works. And I expect that's how it would work if the right to be forgotten were implemented. And the mic's coming down your right-hand
1: side. And if you could stand
2: up. Uh, F.E. Fish, as a follow-up question to yours, um, in order for your side to win, to me it's based on an inherent right to privacy. But how do you square that with at least the
0: U.S. going to your constitutional point that says, you know, with the Fourth Amendment search and seizure context, that a reasonable expectation of privacy, you don't have one the
2: second you share information with anyone, whether it be a conversation with someone or putting it on Facebook. How how do you square those? Eric Posner. The, those are different contexts. That's in the Fourth Amendment is in the context of criminal investigations, and yeah, there's a, there's a there's a Supreme Court opinion which says what you said, but I suspect will be revised over time. And the Supreme Court has already signaled that it's going to reconsider many of these constitutional norms in light of new technology. Uh, there's a case involving GPS, for example, where the the courts understand that their old norms don't work in a world in which the police can tail people with GPS rather than physically tailing them uh, with, with cars. So what the Supreme Court will need to do going forward is balance uh, interest in free speech with interest in privacy. And in doing that, they'll come up with, with new norms that, uh, that probably will uh, respect both interests uh, the, the best that can be done. Another question?
3: Tim Havilland, imagine it's 30 years from now and the two college students at Oklahoma University are now 50 years old. When their kid searches them,
2: should it be the first thing they find, this racist, racist chant they did, or should
4: they not find it at all? I wouldn't want Google to be uniquely privileged to answer that question. Jonathan trying does the other side want to sure. respond to that? Uh, Eric Klosner?
2: Uh, um, I think that would need to be public because it it was a huge public event in this country. I do think that if some kids, uh, you know, put a racist statement on on Facebook and 30 years from now that came up, I, I would be troubled by that. And the reason for being troubled by that is that um, people develop over time. You know, the one event, the one thing that you do as a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old doesn't define you for your life. Even if you did something a lot more serious, committed a crime, for example. The problem is, is that when you're 50 now, the person who Googles you may well know nothing about what you've done over the last 33 years. And they get this hit and although one would wish that people would take into account the passage of time, I think it's human nature to jump to conclusions and assume that this 50-year-old person is the same as the 17-year-old.
1: From a statistic I read while preparing for this, I understand that in Europe, 89% of all Google users never go to the second page. They're, they're only looking at what comes up on the first page. Um, Andrew McLaughlin. Well, so
3: I, I feel this very like, deeply. Like the, the, the notion that one Terrible thing that you do or is associated with you trails you your entire life. I think is heartbreaking, and uh, and it's something that um, concerns me deeply. And I, I think a lot about that. Um, you know, the internet uh, has leapt way ahead of the human capacity to kind of situate uh, incidents like that in a broader context of somebody's life. And so, you know, my view on this is still censorship, which I don't mean to be kind of like a nuclear bomb that ends this argument, but to position this is what it is, which is a right to force other people to delete things that they would otherwise rather not delete, is not the right answer. We need to have the internet evolve. I'd like to see Google evolve uh, to add a more direct right to respond. And by the way, footnote, they've tried. They created something called Google+, Plus, where anybody could create a profile It shows up very high in your results. You can populate that with any data you want to about yourself. And uh, And I think broadly, though, as a society, we have to kind of like you know, learn how not to judge people in this incredibly harsh uh, way that we seem kind of inclined to do.
1: Paul Nemitz, may I ask you a question in terms of how the thing functions? In giving the deciding power, the adjudicating power, to Google, a private corporation, to make the decision, yes or no, we're going to delete or not, um, what are the checks on that from outside? How does that work?
0: Well, Google as a private corporation is subject to the law as anybody else and, of course, uh, uh, its decisions can be checked. So if you ask it something to be taken down and they don't take it down, uh, then you have in Europe the possibility either to go to a court directly and then a judge will decide, or you can go to an independent data protection authority, which is something in, like an independent agency like the FTC, and they will order Google if they think the request is justified to take it down. But then Google has the possibility like in, Euro, in, in America against the decision of the FTC to go to court. Let me, let yeah, Paul, I have but to challenge you on you. this point because I
3: think you're evading the central objection of our side to what you're saying, and it is this. All of the pressures that you just outlined are towards deletion. So if the person requesting it is turned down by Google, they can appeal. They can get yet another higher authority to force the deletion. There is nevertheless, in many of these stories, I mean, on and on through this list that I've got here, there are crimes where there were victims. Some of those victims might want all evidence of that crime to be disappeared, fine, but many of the victims may want those stories to live on. They may want the memory of their loved ones, the story of that crime, the, uh, uh, the details of the criminal's conduct to be remembered. But it does, it does, it does live on. No right.
1: It does live on. It's not removed from the Internet. It's they, just that you can't find it through the criminal's name.
3: They may feel that the perpetrator should be associated with that crime. And it may be important to them as a matter of justice they have an interest are, in that there
2: are interests on both sides so that's the classic role for the law so that the, the interests on but both how sides how are they vindicated and they are vindicated and, and and the and what what's on the side of disclosure is something far more powerful than the government it's the profit motive so google makes money the better its searches are the more money it makes These this are is pretty why long it tail just, searches you know, white, we're
4: talking about white. in any given case on the margin for some Obscure search in the massive river of search taking place. Yeah, but they
2: don't want to set a precedent where they take no down penalty
4: to... for over deleting,
2: and that, that people will complain. That
1: concludes <laughs> round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. Now we move on to round three. Round three will be closing statements by each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each. And here to speak first in the closing round, Paul Nemitz. He is director at the EU Commission, directorate general for justice and consumers.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I am defending the case that you should vote in favor of the notion the EU, uh, the U.S. should adopt a right to be forgotten, not necessarily the one of the EU, but a right to be forgotten. Why should you vote for this notion, because technology moves on. More and more information will be collected about you by the state and by private parties. And your life will be plotted by them, your life will be profiled, you will be predicted, and you will be manipulated, unless you have a tool in law to control your own destiny. In the end... What we are discussing here is the power relation between you as an individual, as a free citizen of the United States, and on the other hand, the power of Google. Is Google free to do anything in terms of plotting you, predicting you, and manipulating you? Or do you as an individual have standing and rights to defend your freedom? If you believe individuals should have their destiny in their hand, also in the times when technology makes total prediction total collection of anything you do possible, then tonight you should vote. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul Nimitz.
1: And that's our motion. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. And here to make his closing argument against the motion, Andrew McLaughlin. He is CEO
3: of DIG and Instapaper and a partner at Betaworks. Paul's construction that he just put forward is a, in my judgment, false construction. Uh, The empowerment of an individual on one side of a conversation, which is what uh, speech on the Internet is. It's people speaking, other people reading, and other people choosing to remember. What he's trying to push is a right to force others to forget true information that they may wish to remember. It's that simple. Uh, It is an extreme solution to a very real problem. It's the wrong solution to a very real problem, particularly where there are other paths more speech, a right to respond, new tools, the evolution of the uh, uh, social understanding of past mistakes to deal with embarrassing mistakes that come out uh, on the Internet. The final image that I want to leave you with is one uh, that sticks in my mind whenever I think about this, and that is the ever evolving photographs of the Soviet Politburo through the 1930s and 1940s. But you can see photographs where Stalin would fall out with one of his Politburo members, and sure enough, the next time they published the yearbook or the history book or the textbook, uh, the new edition would have them conveniently etched out. We are talking about forgetting history, forgetting the past, the right to remember is as important as the right to speak. And for that reason, you should oppose this motion. Thank you.
1: Andrew McLaughlin. And the motion is the U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. And here to summarize his position supporting this motion, Eric Posner. He's a professor of law at the University of Chicago.
2: This debate is really not about politics. It's not about erasing images and statements that displease the government. The debate is about privacy. And I just want to ask you to um, to imagine again, but this time, that it's you. Um, that perhaps uh, you're going through hard times in your marriage, if, if you are married. And perhaps you, you get involved in a divorce. And divorces always work out a lot worse than people want, um, uh, people exaggerate. They, they make allegations. So imagine it's you and your spouse says falsely maybe that you neglected the children or maybe a statement that you made about your own children uh, that you wouldn't want them to hear is repeated in the, in the, in the court documents. Uh, in the old days, uh, nothing much would come from this. Today, imagine it now. This is, this is what people learn about you. This is the first thing that people learn about you when they Google your name. So you go out and you talk to a potential romantic partner or a boss. This is the first thing they're going to hear about you, and they're going to act on it. Now, Andrew uh, quoted Orwell. I believe it was, uh, he who controls the past controls the future, uh, Orwell's invocation was inevitable. But I want to ask you, though, who is the he in that statement? Is the he you, is the he me, or is the he Google? Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric Posner. The motion is the U.S. should adopt the right to be
1: forgotten online. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Jonathan Zittrain. He is co-founder of the Berkman Center for Internet and Society.
4: I can't believe in the last slot I'm still the first to be able to thank uh, everybody, Paul, Eric, John, Andrew, and all of you, for an unforgettable evening. This has been wonderful. Sorry. We'll strike that later. Um, We've heard about uh, a lot of nightmare stories. Everything we do is getting immediately streamed onto the web. Let's hope we don't get to that place, and I will happily join the efforts of academics, of corporate folk, And of governments to have that reality not come about. But notice how what the four folks were saying over the course of the evening, it's shifting. It's a standard that, well, we can tweak that. We'll make sure that only the good stuff goes out and only the bad stuff goes out. But then I come to the question Eric just asked, who is we? And in the proposal, We is Google, not just being ordered to do something, but being the decider, reviewable only if the complainant is not happy with the result. That is basically built, wired into the proposal. And I didn't hear from the other side answers to questions like, when Google makes those decisions, is the public allowed to know? Are the websites themselves that are affected allowed to know? Now, John said we didn't know solutions, and in 30 seconds, it's true that we can't unpack them very well. But I'd encourage people to look at solutions very specific to very sensitive systems of records, like legal documents and court materials, at options for contextualization, to include possibly even somebody like Google deciding that when it's a search on a name, maybe the first result shouldn't be those 10 terrible whatever comes out of the roulette wheel links, but a curated page marked as such, and then... Many won't go to the second page. Uh, reputation systems, and of Jonathan's course, the Jonathan I'm sorry, your time is up. Now, thank you very thing. much,
1: just in fairness to everybody. Thank <laughs> you. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. Our motion is this. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. Remember, the team whose numbers have moved the most between the two votes is the team that will be declared our winner. Let's look at the first vote. The U.S. should adopt the right to be forgotten online. In the first vote, 36% agreed, 26% were against, 38% were undecided. In the second vote, the result was... For the team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 35%. That means they lost one percentage point. The team arguing against the motion, their first vote was 26%. Second was 56%. They went up 36%. The team arguing against this motion of a right to be forgotten online has won this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosenkrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Claya Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with visionary support from The Connor Davis Family Foundation David A. Coulter Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Arthur N. Roop Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and the Paul E. Singer Foundation. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going.